Good morning. I'm glad you're here today. If you have a Bible, let's open together to the book of Exodus. The Old Testament has the narrative story of God's work primarily in the nation of Israel, and uh, we've been looking at God's deliverance of His people from the land of Egypt, where they suffered in exploitation and slavery and were delivered by God's miraculous power. The mission of God in the book of Exodus is to deliver His people out of Egypt and into the promised land. That's the narrative story. The spiritual work that God is doing in the wilderness for 40 years is to get Egypt out of His people. get it? Is a parallel. God saved you out of the world by His Son. He spends 70 years working in our life to get the world out of you and me, us. We experience what it is to be delivered to a promised land but to frequently want to go back to the old stomping grounds. You with me? And part of the spiritual journey that we're all on is God working in us that which He wants to do to fit us for the promised land. When God delivered His people out of the wilderness, He put them on a journey, journey in the wilderness for 40 years And in that journey, he's doing a spiritual work in them. When you're in the wilderness, you shouldn't expect that while you're in the wilderness, it's going to be just like it's promised to be in the promised land. The wilderness isn't the promised land, right? So you can't think that what's in the wilderness is going to be just like what's going to be in the destiny, And so what God's doing in Israel, He's carrying them on a journey through wanderings, through difficulties, through trials, and He's preparing them on the inside for where they're going to end up in the promised land. That's exactly what happens to all of us. Now, we all make mistakes. I want you to think about your most colossal mistake that you've ever made. Got it? Did you ever learn anything from that mistake? We all learn from our mistakes. And there's two ways you can learn. You can learn from your mistake, or you can learn from reading about the mistakes of others. Now, we don't learn quite as well, quite as revolutionarily, by by reading about somebody else's mistakes as we do experiencing mistakes in our life. And then when we make a dramatic blunder, we usually learn faster. Would you agree? What's been your biggest mistake in your life, man? (laughs) We learn. No, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But we learn faster by by the way we blow it if we're paying attention. And yet... God provides the opportunity for us to read about the mistakes of other people and actually learn from them, which is what 
Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says about the things written in the Old Testament. Some of the things written in former days, this is the Apostle Paul looking back on the Old Testament scriptures, were written for our instruction that through endurance and the encouragement of scripture, we might have what? Hope. What was written in this book in the Old Testament was written for our instruction that by persevering and understanding it and through the encouragement of what is written here, you could have hope. So I just want to say it's possible for you today to listen to this story that we're going to take a glimpse at in the Old Testament and watch the way God worked in the life of Israel as a nation and saw the way they tripped themselves up and made mistakes, and you could learn by watching them in a way that would be easier on you than you doing it yourself. So this is good news. But as I said, some of us tend to put ourselves through the story first before we can learn by watching the example of others. But it's here for us. So let's ask God to help us as we read the story that we could apply it to our life. Let's pray together. God, the the account of Israel's journey in the wilderness opens us up to learning spiritual truth. And I pray that you will bridge the gap between the ancient narrative and the present day struggles that we face. And I ask that somehow as we listen to the the struggles of a people, that your Holy Spirit will help us to be good listeners and we will be able to apply it to our life and learn in ways that accomplish in us what you were trying to accomplish in Israel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so you're in Exodus chapter 15. And now they've crossed the Red Sea, and now they're going to embark on this journey. And the journey's going to take 40 years before they get to the promised land because of a series of failures. But it begins in verse 22, where Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went to the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the water at Marah because of, it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. In verse 24... Let's read out loud together. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? People grumbled. They're just uh, a few days into their journey, all things considered. And they grumble against Moses. And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he took the log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. And God is continuing his miracles through Moses by taking a whole bunch of water that's bitter and turning it into something sweet. And then verse 25 and 26 together says, There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And the next phrase, everybody together. And there he tested them. He tested them. Saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what's right in his eyes... And give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I'm the Lord, your... 
your healer, your doctor, your, I'm taking care of you. I'm the healer. And the one who created them and the one who delivered them out of Egypt is now telling them the terms of their ongoing relationship. What is required of you, Israel, is that you listen carefully to what I say, you pay close attention, and you're careful to obey what I say, and if you do that, I will be with you, and I will give you blessing, and I will protect your life, and he tested them. He's testing them. And so, um, their requirement is to pay close attention. Now, what's the test? The test is they've just gone through three days in which they've probably depleted all of their resources of the water they were carrying, and they hadn't been in a place where there was water for three days. And so, they're thirsty. Is that a real problem in the desert? Yeah. It's not the Bible's way of saying, oh, it's nothing. No. If you're in the desert and you don't have water, that's something. It's a real problem. They're parched. They don't know whether the next three days might be just like the last three days. And so there's a fear about the future that's real for them. And the Bible simply acknowledges that. And maybe you're in a trial and you say, well, man, I've I've just been this period of time that I've been without love, financial security, affirmation, a word of encouragement. I'm dying here. I've been this long without it. And I don't know when that's going to change. These things were written for our instruction. So as we're watching them thirsty for water, I want you to think about, okay, where am I at in my life? Is God allowing me to experience a deprivation right now that is meant in the purpose of God to awaken something in me in terms of my faith of trusting Him through the midst of this trial? This is chapter 15, and the people grumbled against God even though they probably were looking at this big pillar of fire. This big pillar of cloud is right there, uh, the assurance of the presence of God, but they're still grumbling. Perfectly well they knew that Yahweh was leading them. But God was calling for their obedience to Him. Well, um, they move on. And the end of chapter 15 says that uh, they camped along... Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camp there. So they go through this period, and the water's turned into sweet. They move on to a place called Elam, and Elam, there's 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and everybody would like to say, okay, this is good, let's stay here. And God says, nope, we're, we're moving on. I like it here. No, we're going to move on. And chapter 16 says, They set out from Elam, and the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which was between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month that they departed from Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel 
grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people said, Oh, would that we had died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and had bread to the full. But you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly of us by hunger. Like they're ticked. And they have an idea of what their life used to be like in Egypt that we just sat around pots of meat and had bread all day long. Is that really what it was like? No. But like when you're in a pinch, don't you think of something that must have been better, even though it might not have actually been better? But your imagination is, it couldn't be worse than this. So it must have been great. And they imagine themselves in bondage in Egypt sitting by a big pot of roast beef. And verse 4, Moses says, the Lord says to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day. Everybody watching? That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And what God does in chapter 16 is he promises to provide for their needs and he describes how he's going to send quail in the evening and in the morning some mysterious phenomenon is going to happen in the grass with this stuff called manna which is like a flaky um, substance that comes in the dew and it turns as it warms into a substance made of coriander seed that they can actually turn into bread. And God promises to provide for Israel in this substance on the grass that every morning they'll be able to wake up and every person in Israel will be able to pick up enough to put into an omer, which is a measure of about two liters. And they can gather for themselves what they will need for that day and then keep it and it will keep all day long for them to have what became known as manna. Uh, it's kind of humorous for those of you who are Hebrew scholars, which is why no one's laughed yet, but man-ha, M-A-N-H-U, is Hebrew for what is it? And they called it manna. Man. What is it? Man. What? It was something that God was sending every day to them. And they were commanded to pick it up and get it. And if you look at verse 11 of, of chapter 16, you, you will read that the Lord said, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you will eat meat. And in the morning you'll be filled with bread and you will know that it is the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt who's giving you this. Well, if you read verse 7, 8, you'll, you'll see about six times the words grumble. And so they grumbled against the Lord and they grumbled against Moses and the Lord heard their grumbling that you grumble against him and you're grumbling against the Lord and they even grumbled and said Lord why have you given us a leader like Moses and it's like it just fills the ears of God and God says okay ho 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 
I'm going to give you quail in the evening, manna in the morning. And he prescribes for them how they're going to feed themselves by what he provides. Now, there have been people who have tried to figure out what was happening uh, in the creation that this stuff was actually occurring. And there really are plants that secrete this kind of sweet thing that can be retained and then made into cakes. And people have tried to discover this. There were two million people. There's no natural way to describe what God did for 40 years every day for the children of Israel as they traveled in the wilderness, except God was doing this, providing for their needs. And he did it every day for them so that they would know that it was the Lord. And so on the sixth day, they were commanded that they should go out and get two days. Because on any other day, if they got more than what was required of them that day, and they tried to hoard it, it would become infested with maggots and rotten. And they had to throw it away. What do you think God was teaching them? Give us this day our daily bread. Like, you rest in me, I will care for you. And if they said, well, oh, there's another man. And they took extra, it, it rotted. Except on the sixth day when they were told, get two days worth because on the seventh day you're going to rest. And on the sixth day when they got two helpings and they ate day six and they retained day seven, it didn't rot because God was working in them. And God was showing them who he was. So verse 35 of chapter 16, the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came to the inhabitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Cana. But you will hear throughout the story that they said, oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt, which led Keith Green to write a song, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. Have you ever heard that? You have to be born in the 80s. But you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure? Are you sorry you bought the one-way ticket when you thought you were sure? You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. And on he goes. He talks about getting manna. Manna for breakfast, manna for lunch, manna for dinner, manna hotcakes, banana bread, <laughs> manna burgers. You know, everything is like manna. It's just every day. But it's God's provision for you. Every day, our daily bread, what God provides. And they're restless in the wilderness. But God is doing something in them, underscored by the clear language that God is testing them. And he's doing something in the test to them to try to remove their love of Egypt from their heart and say, I've got something better for your future. And then you get to chapter 17, and there's one more test that we finish with quickly, that they move to a new place, and they again don't have water. And verse 2, therefore the people quarreled with Moses, saying, give us water to drink. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test? Oh, why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for the water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Why did you do this? And they're testing the Lord. 
So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're ready to kill me. And God tells him to take his staff and to run with some of the elders to the front to see the rock at Horeb and to strike the rock and out of the rock will come water. And that's exactly what happened. And the people drank there and they were satisfied in that place. But, verse 7, he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord saying, everybody please say this last phrase together. Yeah. They actually called the place quarrel. Testing. The people tested God. Now it's interesting. We say, I've just said to you, the Lord tested his people. And maybe that makes you, why, why would God Test us. I don't like tests. Do you like a test? Some people really love tests because they can, you know, study hard and fill their brain with everything and then they nail it. And other people, man, you get turned inside out. I don't like a test. And I, I freeze up in a test and I don't pass it usually. Why would God test them? We're going to see in a minute. But they tested God, a pejorative way of talking about they didn't trust him. And I want you to know that the biggest question you have to answer today is on the bottom of this screen. Is God among us or not? Whenever you're in a test with God, whenever you're in a place where you say, I, I, I feel like I'm missing something, God's not here, the question you have to answer, is God with me or not? And can you resolutely say with certainty of faith, yes? I want you to say yes. Even if you don't feel like it. That's part of the test. God's pillar of fire was really there, but they were hungry. They were thirsty. Was God, is God with us? Answer? Yes. Am I thirsty? Answer? Yeah, I really am. What's going on? God may be working in the dissonance of your soul, in the deprivation of something that you say, I really need this. God, where are you? I'm there. Be still and know that I am God. That's what's going on here. And this is the most important question you'll answer. Here it is. Is God among us or not? And look at Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. The crucibles for silver, the furnaces for gold, and the Lord tests the heart. One of the things God does in us is he allows us to be tested. And you might say, well, I don't like that. But something has to happen in you for you to grow and be strong and to know that the wilderness is not your home. There is a promised land not here that God is doing something in through the test to get you ready for what's coming. 
This is what Paul picks up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, talking about all of the suffering experiences that he's been through, which included being beaten, being shipwrecked, being rejected by people, being put in prison, being scourged, being crushed, being rejected, being made fun of. And ultimately, it was Paul who had his head cut off sometime after writing these words, and he was killed for his preaching the gospel And he says, I don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. How? Day by day. Like daily bread. Day by day. The daily faithfulness of the believer to eat the bread of life is helping to renew day by day. For this, next three words, light, momentary affliction. Wait a minute. Beaten, scourged, imprisoned, shipwrecked. Paul calls his suffering light, momentary affliction. That is meant to be in perfect parallelism with is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. You see the contrast? Momentary is contrasted with eternal. Light is contrasted with weight, affliction, glory. I'm in a light momentary affliction. I'm going to lose my head. But it is preparing me. This affliction I'm in is preparing me for an eternal weight of glory. Wilderness. Eternity. Wilderness promised land. Boulder 2019, heaven for all of eternity. This momentary light affliction is preparing inside of me an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison of this suffering. As, when when is that true? It's as we look at the things not seen, but unseen. We, we look not to the things that are seen, but we look at what's invisible. You hear what he's saying? Do you see it? No, it's invisible. I like you. How do you look at what is what you can't see? What you can't see is what God is doing in the suffering. You look at the unseen and you know in your heart that while you're in this season of deprivation, God is preparing something on the inside of you that you cannot see. But Paul says, keep looking at it. Keep looking for it. And look for the things that are unseen, for the things that are unseen. Seen are, the things that are seen are transient. They're changing. They're going to be here and gone. 
everything that in your life that you go home and you drive your car and you get in your house and you put on your clothes and you do all your gadget stuff and all that stuff's transitory. It, it's not going to last. But things for eternity, that lasts. So you look at those things that you cannot see. And then you will understand that in the suffering, God's doing something awesome and great in you. And so I would say to you, while you are in the wilderness suffering and deprivation, your suffering has meaning and purpose for you that you should never say in the midst of a trial, why are you doing this? Because God is in heaven saying, I'm doing something for that you can't see. But look at it. I can't see it. I want to see it. Well, God is doing something on, in, inside of you. Preparing you to not love this world, but to love the world to come. To not love the wilderness or even Egypt where you used to be, but to love the promised land. You got that? See it? Come on. Let me show it to you again, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, God's not afraid to test your faith. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's doing something in your suffering that your suffering is not meaningless and you should not just say, God, get me out of this suffering. Where are you? The question is, is God with me or not while I'm suffering? What's the answer? Yes. yes. And he's doing something in the suffering that you can't see but you should look for and by faith say, God, I don't know what it is, but I pray you'll keep doing it until you fit my heart to not love this world but to love the world that you made me for that I'm going to be with you forever. Do that in me. My biggest fear is that we just are too at home in this world, that this is just like Blah, 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 blah. And we have no need of water, bread. We have everything we need. And when we're not feeling good about other things, we can medicate ourselves with whatever we want to feel better about those things. And so, like calling on God in the midst of a trial, Lord, are you going to do something in my soul? Please do it in me. That continues, verse 8 and 9. This is interesting, isn't it? It's very similar to what Paul said. Though you have not seen him and you, you love him. You love Jesus? Have you ever seen him? No. I mean, I know him. And though you, you don't see Jesus now, he's not here, he's in heaven, but you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You don't see him, but you keep believing. And it's like, I, is God with us or not? I don't see him. But yes, he is with me. See that? That's the point of the wilderness. Forging your heart to believe with faith in the midst of that. 
The second question is this, will God meet my needs? Is God with us? Answer, will he meet my needs? Yeah. Will God meet our needs? Yes. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Everybody? I shall not want. Like, you, you don't have anything that you want. <coughs> you don't have anything that you need. Right, living in America, we grow up wanting. You know, we just grab all through life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want because I have so much. That wasn't it. It was like, I'm in the wilderness. I'm a shepherd with sheep in the wilderness. But the Lord is with me, and he comforts me, and he provides for my needs. And that was the point. The Lord. So, what was Israel needing in the wilderness? Two things, water and food. You come to the New Testament, and who do you see? The Lord, the good shepherd, and what does he say of himself? First thing he says, John chapter 6, verse 35 and Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. Who believes in me shall not thirst. He's offering himself to be the one. I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And I, he calls himself the bread that comes out of heaven because he wants them to think manna. The provision of God to Israel in the wilderness. He says, I'm that. Did they, did they accept it? Verse 41. And the Jews, <laughs> they grumbled. John who writes this knows what he's doing. This is a hyperlink to the, <laughs> to, to the Exodus for John. He's, he's saying, you're grumbling because Jesus said of himself, he's the bread that came down out of heaven. They grumbled when that's what they were doing in the Old Testament, grumbling. And then Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, I'm the living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become like a spring of water welling up inside because when Jesus is the source of the bread of life for you and the living water for you, you know that God is with you and you know that that one will provide all that you need even if it might mean you'll go through a period of deprivation to test your faith, but you will not be moved. These things are written for our instruction. I just want to encourage you, look at, look at this pattern of the Exodus and say, will I be one who rumbles? Or might I be one who says, I believe the Lord is with me and I can't see him. But I'm looking for what he's doing in me through the wilderness experience, preparing me for something that's yet to come. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for when he is tested, he will receive the crown of life. Let's pray together.
Lord, I don't know where my friends are in struggle this morning, where the battle is for everyone who's here, but I'm thankful that you do. And you know what it is we're wrestling with and why it feels like we're lost in the wilderness perhaps today. But I pray these things written so long ago would become a compass for us to journey in the wilderness in times of need and lack and, and wanting just a little bigger glimpse of what you're doing. I pray you'll just give us faith to believe that you're at work. Faith to believe that you can deliver us. And, and a heart of courage to say that even if we continue to be going without, we will not be moved. We know the Lord is with us. So I pray that you will be the water of refreshment to our soul. You will be the bread of life to our whole being and let us be nourished in faith today in the midst of the journey to the place that you're taking us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.